Welcome to the Austin Forum Upload, the podcast of the Austin Forum on technology and society. Every episode, we upload for you the expertise, insights, and opinions of thought leaders, innovators, and creators on topics at the intersection of technology and society. We'll cover pervasive and emerging technologies that are influencing and impacting our business, education, governments, research, and culture. I'm Jay. I'm Jessica. And I'm John. And we're the co-producers of the Austin Forum Upload. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Austin Forum Upload. I'm John Lockman, the Technology Director. I'm Jessica Sager, the Managing Director. And I'm Jay Boisseau, the Executive Director and Founder. And we're pleased to welcome back into our programming, Todd Beardsley, the Director of Research for Rapid7. Thanks for joining us, Todd. Hey, Jay. Wow, this is a real director-heavy podcast, isn't it? <laughs> we got all of us today. That's right. So it's because we love this topic and we're eager to hear what you have to say. Yep. And, and, and plus, we need to learn a little bit. So I want you to sure. educate our audience a bit. Uh-huh. And let's just start off basic. Can okay. you define the key names for the field, like cybersecurity, computer security, data protection? Can you give our audience a little bit of the lay of the land of what these terms mean? Sure. I'll throw a couple others at you. There's information security, uh, network security, obviously, is another another good one. Um, and then there's like a million subfields. But basically, uh, we so in the security industry, we used to kind of uh, snicker and, and try to hold in our laughter when people said cyber, right? Like cyber, cyber, cyber was a thing. When you it used to be, if you said cyber, you worked at the Pentagon. Like they were the only ones who ever said cyber without laughing. We've gotten over it because we need to be able to talk to the Pentagon. And so I think cyber today and just saying cybersecurity in general is a, is a fine umbrella term that covers all of these things. Sometimes like on, you know, nightly news kind of stuff, something that's real mainstream media, um, you'll see stories about like disinformation which is sort of cyber, it's like cyber augmented things. So like, I would say like a disinformation campaign is something where like you are trying to push some kind of fake news or a false narrative, or you're just trying to convince people, right? It's a very human attack, but it's augmented by all the cybers. So like you can have like a bot, like a robot army on Twitter to like retweet each other. And then that can like cause Twitter trending and then it gets into people's eyeballs. You can have very specific like narrow casting on Facebook where like only you know white dudes who are into country music and drive four four by fours and who also are into hip hop like I need that audience and I can narrow cast straight to them with some disinformation thing right you can do that all these have like cyber elements because like computers are involved but like computers are involved in everything so I would I would I would say uh, cyber is a fine term you will not get laughed at it if you get laughed at you're being laughed at by a jerk they shouldn't be doing that anymore. And so I, I would I would say that's a that's a that's a fine umbrella term. When I talk about information security or computer security or cybersecurity, I'm typically talking about things like software vulnerabilities and software exploits. Like that tends to be my bag. So that's things like we we produce software, right? Humans produce it. We all humans write software. We don't really have machines writing software yet. I mean, I'm sure you'll we can disagree about that, I guess, Jay. So I'm sure you've written some software that writes software, but ultimately it, it comes from humans. The Because of this, like the software is imperfect. It always ships with bugs. Um, we often ship with bugs today kind of on purpose. We have the minimally viable product, which tends to be a buggy product, your one O's. Um, some of those bugs have security implications. So like 
someone who knows about the bug can use it to do something they weren't supposed to do, or something, I guess, more technically, the programmer was not expecting them to be able to do. And so that, a bug that has a, so that has a security implication is a software vulnerability, right? And so then an exploit is another computer program that exercises this vulnerability. You can think of it almost as like, an undocumented API, right? Like you have a, a way to talk to a computer program that the programmer didn't intend the, you know, if, if it's software for sale, the software vendor didn't intend you to do, but you can do it anyway, because computers are basically genies, right? Like they will take whatever command you give them and interpret it in the worst possible way, right? That's how computers work. <laughs> and so exploits are, is good wishes. Like they're, they're good wishes for you, bad wishes for other people. But good, good for you. You have some kind of goal in mind usually when you're when you're writing an exploit, and that might be total control of the computer. It might be uh, exposing people's passwords. Uh, it might be something like just leaking information about the computer, so you can use other exploits or or anyway, you learn things you shouldn't know. So like usually it tends to fall in those two buckets, right? Either I get control over the thing, or I learn a secret about the thing, and then I can and then I can do other things with it. Usually crime, often, almost always, <laughs> um, exploiting software out on the internet is illegal in any jurisdiction that has laws. Uh, so don't do it, kids, uh, even though that's how I got into computer security. So shh, don't tell anyone. So we're seeing these exploits happen on people's personal devices, mm -hmm. and we're seeing them happen on back-end devices, on databases and other data center infrastructure and potentially yep. cloud infrastructure. And these exploits are sometimes propagating, right? Yep. Yep. Um, and so what you're describing there is something that comes up every once in a while. You'll have self-propagating, um, you'll have self-propagating code and that's a worm, right? That's technically it's a worm. And so that is code that can run from jump from one computer to another without like human guidance. Uh, those always go poorly, <laughs> even the well-meaning ones. Um, there have been well-meaning worms in the past and they never work uh, because they just go crazy uh, because nobody knows how to do limits. Again, computers are genies and you say, hey, replicate this. And then they do forever until they stop, until they fall over. The last, I'd say like the last real war, like the last golden age of worms, maybe the fourth age of worms, ended with something called NotPetya. Um, it was notable in that it was NotPetya, which was another worm. <laughs> it looked like Petya, which was an earlier worm, um, but it wasn't. Um, and what this thing did was it was a targeted attack by uh, Russian state apparatus uh, against the Ukraine. Uh, and we all know this. This is this is a known thing. And Russia hasn't actually claimed credit for it, but we all know it was Russia. And what it did is that it... Um, it compromised machines initially through a bit of accounting software. So like in Ukraine, just like in many places, you download a piece of software to do your taxes and then you upload it, right? Like this is how we do taxes in the world, right? In some countries, it's easier than others, but that's how they do it in Ukraine. That's how they do it here. Anyway, the tax software company got compromised and Russian actors inserted this code into the update process. So like, you know, when your phone says like, hey, you need updates, or your computer, like a Windows computer says like, hey, it's time for updates. Um, that's the thing that they compromise. And so everyone said, cool, let me get that update. And then that's what owned their computer initially. And then it propagated from there, right? It has been called by the US government, at least, as the most costly cyber attack in the world, like so far. And that was pretty much the last one. I want to say that was like 2017 or so. 2016 was uh, WannaCry, which was like a big one that everyone uh, heard about. Mm -hmm. 
But those kinds of events are rare. Um, what we tend to see today is is very kind of point and shoot sort of exploits. And that's what results in ransomware usually. And so that ransomware is the favored payload. And so a payload, oh, I just heard this, this, this great um, uh, metaphor the other day, right? The vulnerability is the open window. The ladder, the, the exploit is the ladder you use to get through the window. And the payload is the rock you throw through the window once you're up there, right? And that's, that's basically how all this works. Man, I, I got to attribute that to you. I read it on Twitter. Also, weirdly, InfoSec people hang out on Twitter all of the time. I don't know why, but we do. <laughs> um, so the the payload is usually these days is going to be ransomware, and that's going to hit you know individual people, individual users. You you open an email, you click on a thing you oughtn't have, uh, you get some malicious code, you know the ransomware payload on your computer, which then encrypts your whole drive, and, and then it says like, hey, if you want to un- unencrypt your drive, send some Bitcoin to this address, and it's either Bitcoin or Monero. They don't really take anything else these days. So it's one of the two, and then and then you do it, right? And so, and usually for like an individual, it tends to be in the neighborhood of like five hundred dollars or thousand dollars, something like that. Something that like you know you'll notice, um, but it's not it's not like a life changing amount of money for many many people, right? Ransomware gets to be serious when it hits things like you know bits of civil infrastructure, like a hospital, like that's big bad mojo. State offices uh, have fallen to uh, ransomware, like the state of Georgia was offline for like a month and a half or something because of because of ransomware. And th- those then take on this this capability of automatically moving from computer to computer in the same network, usually not through exploits, usually through like kind of normal uh, network administration tools. So just kind of the normal things that people use just to like run a network, you know, that that infrastructure will get co-opted by by like a like a kind of a mini ransomware bot and it'll it'll lock up everything. Right. And so you don't get anything. And so your only recourse then is like, oh, restore from backups that you've been doing this whole time. Right. Right. You've been you've been doing that and you've been testing that and you've been running it because <laughs> um, guess what? You just got a disaster. And so this is it, it ends up usually being like a disaster recovery effort. And sometimes you pay it, right? And sometimes that's that's the way it goes. Um, there's this whole industry, this weird industry now of like cyber insurance, where like you can get insured against this, and and the cyber insurance company will negotiate with the criminal and say like, well, how much do you really need? I did not know that part. I didn't know there was cyber insurance against ransomware yet. There is, yeah. There's a whole ecosystem there. Like and like the the cryptocurrency exchanges are all very aware of this, and they need to do things right, and they 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 need to up their game. The problem with cyber insurance, so like there was a recent attack, I would say it was maybe two months ago as we were recording this, a cy- one of the cyber insurers themselves got popped, they got compromised, and the goal of the attacker was to get the customer list, because they want to know who's paying for insurance, because if you're paying for insurance, you're more likely to pay out. And it's like, wow, talk about your perverse incentives, you know? It's the <laughs> ultimate crossover of uh, social engineering and and cybersecurity, right? Absolutely, right? Like, you know, if I'm a criminal and I'm like going out of my way to like target particular organizations, this is the best targeting list in the world of, of the folks that like recognize the threat. They know there's a threat. They've paid to mitigate it. And now I got to get paid, right? Like, that's how that goes. I'll say that like the ransomware people, to their credit, have excellent customer support <laughs> by and large. They are very that's good at te- of them. It, it, well, I mean, they want to get paid, and so they're going to teach you step by step how to Bitcoin uh, or how to Monero. It's like, here's the exchange you want to go to. Here's how you like enter. Do you have your credit card number? Here, I'll just do it for you. <laughs> um, 
And so they they very much are very handholded. And so it's kind of a high touch business. It's not very automatable. It's not scalable, right? Um, which is why we're seeing like we're in a boom of of ransomware now. And it's really kind of kind of a bummer because. You know, I I dedicated my life basically to computer security and, and cybersecurity stuff, right? And this is a problem that's just pernicious because it all is predicated, especially when it comes to like the organizational uh, ransomware, the things that hit like hospitals and state offices and a company or whatever, you know, like these are all predicated on this notion that if I can get one person to like click on the thing they shouldn't click on, I own the whole network, right? It is a, it, it, and, and, it's, and it's quick, right? It's, it's fast, it's overnight. That's not a great state of affairs. Like we talk a lot in computer security about this notion of zero trust, where we say things like, just treat every network like it's the internet. It's hostile. It's like everyone's attacking all the time. The servers should treat every client like a potential attacker. The clients treat every server like a potential, you know, uh, 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 an imposter. <laughs> and so how do we do, how do we, okay, so given that, how do we do that? Nobody is doing zero trust correctly. Anybody who's trying to sell you a zero trust thing, is probably lying because no one has figured it out. There are some ways to do it. Like Duo actually does a pretty good job with like their two-factor authentication in sort of a zero trust environment, but they're about the only game in town that's doing it right. Like Google does some stuff in here too. I mean, it's hard it's hard to say anyone else is doing it very well because we keep do, we keep running into this, right? Like this one exploit equal like this one event equals an entire network compromise is is not good. It's, it's, it's not good, Jay. And so I don't, and I don't know how to solve that because like, you know, usually the advice is like, well, be careful when you open attachments. It's like, cool. Well, I don't know the difference between opening an attachment recklessly and opening one carefully, right? Because lots of people, their job is opening attachments. We had a, we had an event the other, the other day with like uh, financial sector people in New York, their whole job is opening weird Excel spreadsheets sent to them by strangers that have macros that because they do Excel things in them, like they're like grown up spreadsheets. Uh, and there's no way to tell them. It's like, well, just don't open, you know, spreadsheet. Don't open Word docs with macros. It's like, well, then I guess I'm out of a job. And it's like, well, golly. <laughs> you know? So now we have uh, humans to sit there as robots and opening Excel spreadsheets and little sandboxes that don't touch the internet, don't right. touch your network. And do all your own math, I guess. Like that's <laughs> and that's insane because this is the thing we built computers for is math. Math to kill Nazis. Like that's the whole reason we have computers. So. We hire the robots that then hire us to do the uh -huh. work that we tell them that they can't do anymore. <laughs> right. I mean, we look forward to like the AI singularity and all this goes away. So like none of the, these problems are all trivial. That's like next year, so. right? Though that's really soon. Or in the next hour. I don't know. It'll be really fast, but Anyway, that's a depressing topic and we won't talk about that. <laughs> well, so I hear some of the issues that you're talking about. So mm -hmm. ransomware, um, zero mm -hmm. trust, what like say more about like the biggest issues that you're seeing in, in security right now. I would say like ransomware is probably our, our number one concern right now, mainly that we don't have a good way of dealing with it. It's pernicious, it's everywhere, and there's no sign of it going, like it's not going away anytime soon. Like ransomware is spam, but it costs you money, right? And so um, that's a problem. For like more like businessy stuff, like enterprise networks, um, the biggest problem we have today are supply chain vulnerabilities, which is a little bit buzzwordy. But basically it's like, the things you use to make the things, those things get owned, right? Those things get owned, by the way, it's like a 
term of art. It just means it got compromised and it's now under the control of the bad guy. Uh, so we've had a couple of these issues like in 2021 that are really eye-opening for people. So there was the the SolarWinds uh, Orion issues and then more recently was the CodeCov issues. CodeCov is a, um, it, it, it's, it's spelled C-O-D-E-C-O-V because it's internet and that's how you spell things. Um, <laughs> uh, and CodeCov is great. Like people, I recommend CodeCov to people, right? CodeCov and Coveralls are like kind of the two games in town when it comes to like um, software development. And it, it basically it's just like QA software, right? It's just like make sure you're doing all the things you're supposed to be doing. So CodeCov got compromised. And then so everyone's like software development got compromised. So it's like the people making the software were inadvertently like sharing passwords and credentials and tokens and uh, uh, IM roles in AWS, if you're like an AWS person, like those got compromised. GitHub got compromised through this. Or many, not GitHub proper, but like many GitHub repositories, which is where like a lot of open source lives, right? So you have, so it's it's everything, right? CodeCup is a big deal. And we're only starting to hear about the, the it now. So it is on level with SolarWinds. Everyone's heard about SolarWinds. Some people have heard about CodeCup. They are, in my opinion, equivalent and they're equivalent supply chain issues. And what all this means is that the the folks that are making software uh, and other technologies, they have this like long secret chain of dependencies that they need to that that they need to be secure in order for them to be secure. And that kind of security promise has been kind of implicit this whole time. It hasn't been explicit, right? There's not it's not provably secure. And so it's just security <laughs> through obscurity, really. Well, <laughs> we have a way that to we have a way to build our chain that we don't share with anybody else. Right. Um, there, there is that proprietary notion of it, but even, but even then, like people weren't doing anything like really wrong. Like it's not like you clicked on the thing you shouldn't have clicked on. It's not like that, right? It is like I'm using these tools and the way they're supposed to be used. And oops, it, my tool just got compromised and I didn't notice, right? And these things have long dwell times too. So like, like the 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 time measured between like the time at first, like these supply chains first got compromised, and then the time that you notice that like your stuff that depends on that supply chain got compromised is measured usually in months so it's a long long time um the, the code cup thing was like three months the solar ones thing was like i think it was like nine or ten months or something like that that they were running around getting owned um, and the only reason by the way that the solar winds people or the solar winds attackers got noticed is because they made a move in a security company that's like really good at intrusion detection that's like so it was already in like lots of government stuff and lots of like private industry stuff but it wasn't until like the hit mandiant which makes FireEye, um, that they got uh, discovered because they happened to run into uh, very talented security engineers well i think you know the internet was built mainly by government institutions and universities and such. And I think the, you know, the brunt of security had been placed on them for such a long time. Do you think, where is the uh, balance between governments providing security and, and businesses right now? I, so it depends on your government. <laughs> um, so like you can, you can compare somebody like, so like the U S government, we have an outfit called CISA, which stands for something that I can never remember. It's like cyber in, internet security something, something long but with the wrong letters right yeah and you pronounce it CISA which is unlike how you pronounce pizza or CISA or anything like so anyway they have a weird pronunciation because it's government but anyway they're part of the Department of Homeland Security and CISA is pretty good I will say like and I hang out with lots of gubby types um CISA is pretty good 
they guaranteed the election. You know, the 2020 election had no significant um, cyber issues, uh, and this is largely because of the work that CISA did, almost entirely <laughs> from the work that CISA did. So, and I have friends at CISA, so I'm super biased, but is uh, pretty good. They are a huge organization and they can't cover everything. I mean, the internet is pretty wild west. Like we're all kind of our own sheriff when it comes to that. NCSC in the UK is excellent. They are part of GCHQ. They have been running uh, something called like a cyber, the cyber aware campaign where they will take like one topic and make it real simple and say like, do these three things and you are better than better than 50%, you know, out of the gate, right? And so, and that's kind of how they, they just want to knock it down by half and knock it down by half, knock it down by half. Like that's their goal. And so they, and that tactic is working out really well. But then you look at other governments. So like you look at like the Egyptian government, for example, like they're actively spying on their citizens. <laughs> like we know this. Um, it's super not cool to be gay in Egypt. And every time that there is a, um, there, there's some kind of breach or a vulnerability in, in like one of the gay dating uh, apps. It's like, it's a big deal in Egypt because they'll knock on your door and they, cause they know where you are and all of that, right? Like the, the, the Chinese government is good at some things and terrible at other things. You know, they, they, they have the great firewall that they will not really care if you are violating that if you're kind of pro-china when you do it and only kind of like they're good if you're like only semi pro-china and you're out in the world because it makes them look better china is very complicated <laughs> and then you and then you have like a state like north korea where like you know they have problems with like just fundamental problems with food and electricity and stuff but they have like really good hackers um and all the really good ha and Ch china's somewhat somewhat similar and they're kind of like hackers space uh, where like if you're in China and you're a hacker, you tend to be pretty pro-government, um, tend to be pretty patriotic and you're looking for like Chinese supremacy and the Pacific Rim and all of that. Um, in the US, it's very much not like that. If you're a US hacker, you are, it's a coin flip if you're like pro or anti-government, right? Um, you know, so like, and that's just kind of how it goes. It's just like these weird cultural difference. It's interesting cultural differences between them. In Russia, there's like no, um, there, there's no fealty to like a government, um, but there's a lot of crime uh, and then the crime kind of crosses over into governments. So um, anyway, this is all like political speculation and, and, and not my business, <laughs> you know, Kermit the Frog uh, gif. I would say that uh, in general, government has is doing a lot better than it used to, especially when it comes to things like vulnerability disclosure. So like if I know about a vulnerability and I want to tell you about a vulnerability in your stuff, like generally speaking, that's not illegal anymore. Or it doesn't like it doesn't raise the ire, you know, of like the prosecutorial world here in, in the US. Like if I want to tell the state of Texas, it's like, hey, state of Texas, your vending machines all wanged up and here's how you here's how you exploit it and you should fix this. Like I'm not gonna then turn around and get like a visit, you know, from, from the right. attorney general anymore. Like that generally does not happen unless you go way out of your way to be a jerk about it. And then that might happen. So don't be a jerk when you report. Depends on where you paste the uh, solution first. <laughs> I guess um, I would, I would say, yeah, as long as you're cordial and like, you know, that you're telling someone their baby's ugly, like that kind of goes a long way. Like if you're just look, I'm sorry, I didn't, I'm not the one who punched your baby, but your baby's real ugly and like we can fix it uh, <laughs> you know i'm here i'm here to help you well um, i think this is our first podcast in which anyone ever called babies ugly so that's <laughs> <laughs>
Well, well, Todd, we'd like to know about more about your vision about the the near future in cybersecurity sure. and computer security. What do you actually tell us? What you see as the current problems, and maybe where you think we can um, do better right now, and where you how that may lead into some better practices and technologies in the near future. It's a little flip to say like, there's the easiest thing to do, um, but it kind of is the easiest thing to do, and that is like make. The discussion of software vulnerabilities um, and and those failings like a little more normal. Um, so like if I find a bug and I tell people about the bug, I'm not the bad guy, right? For like for bringing that message, making that more normal. We just did a, a survey of uh, Fortune 500 companies uh, in the U.S. and how many of them have something like a vulnerability disclosure program where like I know who to talk talk to like I don't have to guess I can just like I found a bug and you're in in something that Amazon makes right I know who to talk to at Amazon and we found that about 20% of the fortune 500 have some kind of vulnerability disclosure program which is which is weirdly good <laughs> compared to where we were even just a couple of years ago like in 2019 it was 9% so like we've seen almost a doubling of that in the space of about 20 months or so to me, to me, that that's pretty pretty good. Like if we do that for another two years, great, we'll have everybody. And when it comes down to it, like when you think of the Fortune 500, there's like a lot of banks in there. There's like fashion design, you know, fashion design companies in there. There's manufacturing, mining, you know. There's there's lots of like these non-tech kind of old tech companies. But every company on the Fortune 500, I guarantee you, is a tech company. They have a website. They have accountancy. They employ thousands of people. They're moving billions of dollars they don't do that without technology right and so like a vulnerability disclosure program for every one of these companies should be normal um that's that and that that's something where you can and and there's stuff for it too like we know how to do that there's a couple like iso standards for this where you could just like pay the iso the international standards organization you know there's 70 uh, swiss swiss francs and you can download the iso right it costs okay fine but you're a billion dollar company you can handle 70 swiss francs and uh, and then and it's like a step by step like and it's written by experts that are know what they're doing. It's an international group of experts. It's an international standards right there in the name. So like that's the kind like if you're listening to this and you're responsible for some kind of cybersecurity aspect of your company and you don't have a vulnerability disclosure program, like go there first. Like go look it up. VDP is vulnerability disclosure program. CVD is another acronym we use a lot, which is called coordinated vulnerability disclosure. Um, and that all that means is that like, I'm telling you about your vulnerability before I, before I tell the world or I tell the press really, um, or I, before I post exploit code up on pastebin or something, right? Like I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I give you a little bit of room, you can fix it or not. And then I'm going to tell the world that's how coordinated vulnerability disclosure works. And so, so some of those, will... some of those have uh, uh, bounties, as they call them, bug bounties. Is that the standard to always pay, or is it a lot of them are just no? We're we're welcome to take uh, bug reports, and thanks for thanks for helping us out. Um, I I have some I have feelings about bug bounties. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, like institutionalized extortion is is risky. <laughs> um, but like we've seen things where. You know, we've had like I work at a software company, Rapid7. We make software, we make services, whatever. We've occasionally had people roll up and say like, "Hey, we know about this vulnerability like in your phone system. Do you have a bug bounty program?" <laughs> and we'll say, "No, sir, we don't. What are the details of this soft, this bug you found?" It's like, "Well, 
boy, if you only had a bug bounty program, I'd tell you about it. Well, we don't. I would still love to know what the thing is. Like, my job is to, like, shoot right past that extortion attempt and try to get to the actual details, right? And not, like, engage the lawyers and all that. Like, I'll maybe give the lawyer a heads up when it goes, like, three or four rounds like that. But, like, my goal is not just to punish this guy. My goal is to, like, actually get, like, do you have a real thing that I can fix? Um, and the most, most times, like, most people who are in that business will tell you, like, for free, right? Now that said, the hackers are 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 very educated, highly educated, very talented, very very driven people. They deserve to get paid for their work. If you have a bug bounty program, good for you. I you know it is it is a species of vulnerability disclosure program, but it's not the only game in town, right? And um, a lot of that software is open source too, or oh mix. yeah, yeah. So I mean, you're, you're really contributing back beyond just the company itself. You're really giving back to the community in that sense. Yeah, and it's funny too because like reporting vulnerabilities in open source software is is trickier than proprietary software because open source people tend to publish first and ask questions later. So like a lot of times I'll get redirected to like just the open bug queue, right? Like just the issues queue on GitHub or something. It's like just put it there. I'm like you don't want me to put it there because the, the <laughs> moment I type it into this thing, like people are going to start popping it and no one will have a chance to patch it, right? Like even if you turn around a patch in an hour, it still takes time for people to get the patch. So you're going to want some coordination involved in this. Um, and so we, you know, I, I'm also on the the common vulnerabilities and um, what's it called the cve board uh common and vulnerabilities and exposures we never expand the acronym <laughs> so um we're trying to like kfc it where like we never have to expand it ever again we'll just call it the cve board but anyway i'm on the cve board and we're actively trying to figure out like how do we help open source projects do this too uh in a way that's not that that doesn't you know hurt their immediate downstream users and open source software also ends up in a lot of stuff like that's kind of one of the dirty secrets of tech is that everything is open source. Probably, maybe it shouldn't, and that's why you hire Black Duck or whatever, but eh, everything is open source in it. And so when you are disclosing a bug like in a software library that everyone uses, like OpenSSL is like kind of the go-to example for that, that doesn't just affect OpenSSL. And it doesn't just affect like SSL web servers. It affects everything. It affects every IoT device. It affects tons and tons of software that you weren't expecting because they're using like an open SSL function just to do like kind of basic cryptography. Um, and so things like that, since then, by the way, it's like a lot easier to report vulnerabilities in open SSL in a real way because they got bit real hard. <laughs> um, but that's how people learn their lessons, right? They get bit hard once and then they figure it out after that. But um, the moral of the story is, is that to finally loop around and answer your question today of what, what should we be doing in the future, I would say normalize vulnerability stuff and at the same time, like, don't make people feel dumb for falling for scams. Like, scammers are good at what they do. Like, they train on it. And one thing we often say is, like, you know, look for email phishing lures that are written in a way with, like, real broken English and, like, funny syntax. Like, it's a foreign person doing it. It's not that they are bad at English. They're doing this on purpose. It is, like, there. It, there is a purposeful tactic to, like, use broken English to attract people because they want to attract the credulous. And so by 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 weeding out people who would see this and say like, oh, well, that's clearly not actually in my bank. It's some like Nigerian scammer. They don't have to worry about you anymore because you're self-selecting into the population. You're self-selecting yourself out of the population of the scammable. So I don't want people to ever feel dumb for like falling for it. Like my dad has fallen for scams like three times this year. It's ridiculous. 
and and I tell him I was like don't okay maybe the fourth time like we're gonna talk about it we'll talk about the thing you know but I will I, I will say that like you know shaming people for like clicking on attachments is probably not is not working um, and so we need to do a better job you know kind of upstream as as the experts and the professionals in the field of like making sure that you know scam mail doesn't hit the end user in the first place like it's still a tech problem it's not just a user problem there's still a tech problem there and google's done an amazing job like gmail has like really changed like just the spam uh universe right like i can't imagine living in a world today without like just the default gmail filters i agree with that i have three yeah. email accounts that are gmail based and they're remarkable at finding phishing attempts and other attempts and i have three that are not, and they're not nearly as good despite using third-party packages that specialize sure. in this. Google's quite good at that. Google is very good at this. So good. So I feel them. like uh, Outlook 365 is also pretty good. I would not, not very good, but pretty good, pretty good. <laughs> so if it, there's been so much. So where would you suggest to the listeners and for ourselves, what is there, where should we go to learn more? Well, there's a book I shill all the time, and it's called um, The Smart Girl's Guide to Privacy. It's by an author named Violet Blue. Um, she is a, she's a journalist in San Francisco. She covers, she covers all things cyber, and she also covers, like, pandemic things these days, obviously, like every journalist does. Um, she covers, like, homelessness issues and, like, at-risk populations, too. So, like, LGBTQ stuff and, like, substance dependency stuff. Anyway, she wrote this book. Uh, called the smart girls Gu the smart girls guide to privacy i think that's the title but if you type in yep. something even close to that that's Google the title figure it out and <laughs> um a, it is the a smart girls guide to privacy a privacy guide to the rest of us that's the thank you title. that is it and right and so you don't have to be smart you don't have to be a girl uh, all you have to do is like be interested in privacy right like this is a go-to this is a go-to resource um it's probably about what six or seven years old now but it's still like super super applicable it's all it's about like it's all about how to um, like keep your identities separate. And so like you have like a dating identity and a professional identity and you know other identities that you might associate with other parts of your life. Like you can do this on the internet, so why not? You know, how to pick passwords, how to like use password managers, um, how to talk to your family about security issues. You know, it's tons of good stuff in there. It's it like pound for pound, super good. When it comes to things like if you want to do like professional, if you want to do this for a job um, and not commit crime to get there, good for you. Um, <laughs> I'm not a big fan of the romanticization of crime. Uh, I, but, I was going to ask what the business plan was for ransomware versus um, uh -huh. bug hunting. Like which which one's a better business plan? But we won't uh, go there. I, We're not I, well, I, I will tell you right now, bug hunting is the is the place to be because it's legal. Um, <laughs> If you're gonna do, if you're gonna pull a ransomware scan, like if you're gonna be doing ransomware as a, as a job, uh, don't be in the U.S. Don't be in Australia. Australia basically, Australia's taken a real hard line on this. Like they they have unleashed the full fury of their of their uh, national police on this. They are taking it extremely seriously. But yeah, be be somewhere like Belarus. You know, that's a good that that's a good place to do ransomware. <laughs> um, you have to you know. There's some lifestyle changes, but uh, for bug hunting, you can be anywhere in the world uh, and it's totally free. There is a great, great resource out on the internet um, called Hacking Esports. And what they're trying to do is make it like an esport. So 
Esports is like, you know, people playing video games professionally on Twitch. So they do that, but for hacking. And they they set up these virtual machines with like some kind of canned vulnerabilities, like common vulnerabilities. And they say, all right, everybody go for it. And there's like announcers going on. It's, it's very Brazilian heavy. There's a lot of Brazilians who, who are in on this, but there's like an English channel. So they basically have a Portuguese channel and an English channel now. Um, it's super duper fun. So if you're in- interested in this at all uh, from like an offensive point of view, there are like legit offensive security jobs. And those are bug hunting. So that's finding bugs and reporting them. Uh, uh, pen- penetration testing so it's sneakers right like it is the movie sneakers you get hired to break into banks and then return their money like that is the job and it is awesome um <laughs> i hang out with pen testers all the time i could not do their job that's a lot of pressure you know i'm involved in research so i like looking at like new and novel ways to do things which is you know a little bit navel gazing because like our actual problems are fundamental problems like you know, basically it's people and supply chain and people. poor software, <laughs> open um, GitHub issues. <laughs> like if you want to find bugs today, like find a, like a bug linter, you know, that this is a kind of program that just says like, Hey, this is a common pattern that we see in a lot of bugs and you run it and you're supposed to run it against software. You write, run it against other people's software. You will find bugs all day long. Um, and you can then turn around and sell them, uh, if you like, you know, now, there's some extortion involved there, but it's, it's, it is today. It's a normal thing, right? It was shadier probably 10 years ago. It'll probably be super duper normal in 10 years hence, but this is like the sweet spot, right? Like it's, it's all that kind of like gray area of law. That's where you make all the money, you know, like sell weed, find bugs and don't do crimes. You know, (laughs) (laughs) Don't sell weed in Texas. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, Todd, this has been great. We're going to ask you for one fun question here at the end. Uh-huh. You gave us sure. a couple of resources. In fact, I already ordered the book that you recommended, just did it on uh-huh. Amazon. Perfect. But are there any movies out there that as fun as they are, are pretty good depictions? And obviously Black Hat starring my favorite man crush, Chris Hemsworth has got to be the very best. But what are the so, other ones? So you are correct. Chris Hemsworth is the god of hacking. Uh there is a legit attack. There is a solid 45 seconds of real stuff in Black Hat. Um, <laughs> and, That's and pretty it, good for Hollywood. I mean, it's, it's, and it's good. It's like the password he steals. So he like, there's a scene in Black Hat where he gets a guy to open a PDF and then he pop, and because of this, like he's popping like a PDF, uh, it, it comes with a PDF exploit. So like it exploits him and then he asks him for a password and he types in a password. It's like a really complicated, real looking password. Really good, really good. So that 45 seconds, solid. I would say sneakers is more real than not. There's like a little bit of a magical MacGuffin in there. But as someone who like grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area in the 90s, like sneakers is basically my life. Uh, <laughs> that's got uh, the hack- real, that's real social engineering, really getting inside, not just oh i will get somebody to open up this uh pdf one day <laughs> yeah exactly right like there's a lot of talking on the phone <laughs> um which is a, which is a big part that's called pretexting in the business uh <laughs> and i would say but like hackers obviously is a go-to there's like some i mean ha- hackers is a is a pretty good depiction of like hacker culture even if the tech is all like wildly crazy and pendulet is in it so you know <laughs> Uh, I'm trying to think of like other other things uh, like it's it's a bummer because like most of the good stuff is like near future stuff so it's all you know that's how they get around like all the all the stuff oh there is one good book series called www wake uh, and uh, somebody who has a Google nearby can probably tell me the author but 
it is legit in that like it's about an emergent ai that comes to be because of random bit flips in the tcp ip headers and it's surprisingly accurate uh, <laughs> about like how it works and then the sequel is about like corruption in like bgp headers which like spawns like a, a you know a rival ai so it's so good it's so good it's a trilogy though right it the is. one by robert sorry sorry i'm the the google yes the thank name. you <laughs> <laughs> yes robert sawyer uh ww WWW Wake, I believe, is the first one. And mm -hmm. there's an Austin connection because the character's from Austin, Texas. She went to school for the blind. A lot in a lot of hacker literature and culture, you have like uh, you know people who are either uh, blind or hearing impaired or something like that. Um, uh, yeah, so WWW Wake uh, has some has some pretty good tech and hacking in it. So excellent, and it's like almost young adult. It's like on the edge of like young adult and just like kind of straight sci-fi. So even like a 14 year old gets super into it. Well, Todd, thank you for joining our podcast. It's great to have you back. We look forward to having in-person events again soon. And sure. we'll certainly have to do one on computer security and cybersecurity. Yeah. So look forward to seeing you again in person soon. But mm -hmm. thank you very much for joining us and uh, have a great uh, rest of the month and enjoy getting to see people again here real soon. And yeah, yeah almost through all this. So hopefully there won't be any severe hacks that you have to deal with in your line of work over the next uh, few weeks. Two a month. That's about, that's about all I can do. <laughs> so. well, thanks, Todd. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Austin Forum Upload. You can listen to additional episodes and check out a schedule of our monthly in-person events at austinforum.org. The Upload is a production of the Austin Forum on Technology and Society, a nonprofit organization here in Austin, Texas.